Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is the podcast people tune into for in-depth discussions on the latest research from our foremost leaders in self-improvement, so you can be growing and more equipped to live at your fullest capacity in body, mind, and soul. The results of the longest scientific study on happiness showed us that the primary source for our happiness today and over our lifetime is our relationships. Obviously, it's not the bad and toxic relationships, but the good, healthy, and fulfilling ones, which of course then begs the big question of what makes a good, healthy, and fulfilling relationship. This is part three on Robert Waldinger and a peer discussion on the study he shares in his book, The Good Life. My co-host today is Tom Ziegler. Tom is CEO of Ziegler and son of Zig Ziegler, the legend who inspired us that all we do is second to the relationships we have. Opening this discussion on the topic of what does make good relationships, Tom said, trust. And I'd ask you to think of your best relationships and consider the level of trust. And actually, the concept may be more apparent when I ask you to think of your most strained relationships and ask if trust is at the root of the issue. I suspect you'll find it is. So for us then, a key understanding is what does and does not create trust in relationships. And what you'll find out is there are many things we unknowingly do and don't do that erode our trust with others and create relational conflict. Listen in to this show. You're going to get informed. You can find Robert Waldinger's book, The Good Life, anywhere you get books. If you find value from the Self-Helpful Podcast, I would be grateful if you would leave a review. Let us know what you think about it. Best of all, talk about what you hear with someone else. Discuss the issue. It'll help you both. You can find me, connect with me at my website or social media at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Tom Ziegler and I discuss Robert Waldinger's findings in the world's longest scientific study on happiness, which results from relationships. And here we talk a bit again about how to build the strongest and most fulfilling relationships by building trust the right way. Tom, having this study that's directed right now by Robert Waldinger and longest study ever on happiness, scientific study on happiness, and they come up with relationships. Again, not a surprise, but just to me, just so profound that there it is. They did the science. They've done you know 80 years, 1,500 people, and it's relationships is what makes us happy. And so interesting to look at your dad, Zig Ziglar, you know, he gets a start in sales. He's a sales guru. Then he's the motivational speaker. And yet it really feels as you audit his work, his life's work, that he was driving us to relationships. Um, what a gift and how appropriate to have you on here. And as you were talking about before we started here, I didn't even know you've been talking about Robert's TED talk. Tell me about that. Yeah. So gosh, a TED talk has been out probably six or seven years, maybe longer. I can't, I can't remember. It's one of the most watched ever. And he talks about the results from one of the studies. And I think they called it originally the 75 year Harvard grant study. And that's where they studied um, 
a, a class of students, I think sophomores from Harvard, and then comparatively, they had another group of people, same age range from the Boston tenement housing yeah. project. So they had kind of the elite and privileged, and then they had the not so privileged working class, even deprived in the study. And they tracked and followed them for all those years, doing all kinds of medical evaluations, interviews, uh, job history, medical reports. And at the and at the seventy uh, fifth anniversary, they realized that only about ten percent were still alive. Yeah. And so they said, you know what? We need to go ask them. And they asked those those that were still alive. Are you happy and satisfied with your life? So there's the happiness question. And then the ones that said yes, they went back in their documents to the 50th anniversary. So this was kind of retirement age for this group on the 50th anniversary. And they said um, in there, there was a question, what, where do you, where's your focus going to be the rest of your life? And the people who said they were happiest with their life, their focus was, I'm going to work on relationships, family, friends. It wasn't about travel. It wasn't about retirement. It wasn't about making more money. It wasn't about starting a new business or, you know, any of the, those things. It was about relationships. And so that's where I started kind of connecting some of dad's principles and teachings mm-hmm with what we talk about and and so this there's this question and that is can you have a good relationship without trust no it's impossible no you can't uh-uh. and so i i have a quote and the quote is is that trust is the byproduct of integrity and so you can't have trust unless you have integrity. And so then this little light bulb went off because I had a flashback to when I was going to dad's Sunday school class. And in a Sunday school class, it was called the encouragers class. And he would always start off the class with three questions. He would ask the encouragers class, how many of you had a good week this week? And they were in the encouragers class. They were well-trained. Yeah. 100% of them would raise their hands, right? Yeah. Then he would say, how many of you had a good week this week reading God's word every day? And about back then, people used to, uh, they used to tell the truth in church back then. It's a little different. Great. great, Yeah. You know, and so 60, 70 percent of the hands would go up. And then he asked the last question, how many of you had a a good week this week practicing good biblical self-talk? And so biblical self-talk is when you take the scripture and you put your name in the verse. So if there's a promise or whatever or a blessing, you just put your name in the verse. So it's like you're reading it first person present tense. And so that pinged me. Okay. So I'm like, okay, relationships, trust, integrity. So then I asked, well, where does integrity come from? Well, integrity comes from truth uh-huh. because truth can't contradict itself, right? Uh-huh. If it was true then, it's true now. Now, our perception of what happened is, you know, that 
shades all the time, right? But there is just one truth. Otherwise, you can't call it truth. So where does truth come from? Truth comes from the author of truth. I believe God, the creator, right? That's where truth comes from. And so then I asked this other question, what's the most powerful story in the world? The most powerful story in the world is the one you tell yourself. True. Okay, so now look at this. If you are putting God's word, you're reading it out loud, you're putting your name into it, you're claiming it as yours. So what you're doing is you're embedding truth in you. Truth creates integrity. Integrity allows you to have relationships based on trust. And those relationships allow you to be 90 years old and happy and satisfied with your life. Yeah. Hmm. And so it was just like these dots that just lined up. Of course, the most important thing in life is is relationships. I mean, everybody, you know, you hear it all the time. Nobody says on their deathbed, I wish I'd worked more hours. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, no, it's like, I, I wish I would have spent time and deepened the relationship with those I care about the most. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. It would be interesting to have Robert on here right now and to ask him about trust. Um, I had him, I asked him and he did, he sent me Tom, I, I'll share it with you, man. You'll, I, you'll appreciate this. I can't believe I didn't think about it. I asked him, would he share with me the questions that they asked? Well, of course this is, you know, 80 years at this point, I think it's a lot of questions. He says, man, it's a huge PDF. So I've got, I've gotten it. It was right over the holidays. I haven't dug in yet, but I want to go through and look at some of the questions. And I wonder if there are some yeah, that relate to trust. How did that? I didn't think to ask him about that. How did trust factor in to the stronger relationships that created more happiness? Because interestingly, Tom, so this is part three on Robert Waldinger. My next guest that's going to drop is Nedra Glover Tawab. Uh, I had her on a year and a half ago. She has a book called Set Boundaries, Find Peace. Now she has a book called Drama Free, but she is a relationship therapist, uh, renowned. She's been on you know, the, the uh, Will and Jada Pinkett Smith's table, Red Table Talk. She's kind of uh, really come to acclaim, but she's looking at drama-free relationships. And so here we got Robert saying, relationships, that's where we find that we get the most happiness from. And then Nedra's over here going, yeah, but we don't often do the relationships well. And so back to your trust issue, the things that we do, I didn't even talk to her. I just talked with her yesterday, but about what are the things that we do that erode trust in our relationships? So if we're saying relationships are where we get the most happiness and one of the foundations or the foundation, as you're talking about, of a good relationship is trust, then if we're having difficulty challenges in our relationships, how about if we look to trust? What are the things that we do that erode trust? And now the first thing that's easy to think about is, oh, just telling the truth. And I've heard great quotes from your dad, from Zig Ziglar on, uh, on that, telling the truth. You know, you don't have to ever have to worry about remembering a story if you just tell the truth, tell it how it was. Um, yes, there are other things that erode trust though, right? 
Yeah, you know, when you say telling the truth, um, I remember I was at an event. Dad had spoken. This guy comes up at the end. This is like 30 years ago. And he's buying some programs, and he says, this, this stuff changed my life. And I said, tell me the story. And he said, well, last time I heard your dad speak, I bought one of the programs, and I got convicted. And he said, my, con- my, my conviction was, is I told white lies to everybody. He said, if, if my report, my, my, my business report was due in to the boss at Wednesday at 3, and on Monday he said, hey, is the report going to be on time? I would just tell him yes, right? Because I didn't want to disappoint him, knowing full well that it would be Thursday morning before it was due because I didn't have all the stuff. And then when I would go to work or my wife would call me at work and she would say, are you going to be home for dinner tonight at, at 530? He would say yes, because he didn't want to hurt her feelings, even though he knew it was going to be 630. Yeah. And so he made a commitment right after that, that no matter how hard it was, he was just going to tell the truth. So his boss said, is the report going to be in on Wednesday at three? He said, no, it, it, it's going to be end of the day Thursday. He said, it shocked me. My boss said, that's fine. I don't, I don't really need to know, exa- you know, within this time frame when it's going to be in. I just got to plan my schedule. Thank mm-hmm. you. And then his wife called him, he said that day, and said, hey, are you going to be home for 5.30? And he said, oh, I'm backed up here. It's going to be 6.30. So he gets home at 6.30, and he walks in, and everything's ready. And she looked at him and said, hey, I just want you to know, I don't care what time we eat. I just want to eat with you, and I want it to all be ready at the same time. Yeah. And so sometimes, even unintentionally, we erode trust when we when we tell little white lies yeah right yeah and so yeah there's a lot of ways you can erode trust you can be not dependable you can not follow through on your word you can not tell the truth you can uh be inconsistent in your responses right you you can be all over the board and these are all pretty basic relationship things but it's interesting that uh if you know, in some of the uh, leadership programs, I tell the story of how to catch a unicorn. And and so they'll describe the perfect team member or the perfect spouse with all their character quality attributes. And they'll say, how do you how do you how do you uh, recruit somebody like that to come work here? Or how do you find a potential mate with all those qualities? It seems like they'd be hard to find. And I said, well, actually. They're out there, not not perfect, but they're out there. But the way you find them is you develop the qualities in yourself that would attract the qualities you want. Well, there's a good methodology for building relationships around trust. Yeah. Is decide what qualities you want in somebody that you're going to invest a lot of time in and then develop the qualities that would attract that type of person. Yeah. Right. Man, you've got me thinking. I mean, Tom, I because I, I would think I'm somebody who tells the truth. That's what I think about myself. I think we most, you know, most of us do. We might look at the white lie thing and say, yeah, I guess sometimes we fudge it a little bit to protect ourselves or maybe even somebody else. And yet, I had in this past year, Tom, I was uh, challenged in some relationships 
about in regards to them trusting me from a, let's call it the, the, the sin of omission about just remaining quiet. It was, it was in regards to some relational things. I didn't want to gossip. I didn't want to talk about somebody who wasn't there. And I thought I was kind of being valiant, but I was just being silent. And when there's a lot of information coming from elsewhere and I'm silent, I was approaching God. We understand that, that you're not, you know, you want to talk better, but if you, but if you don't talk, tell anything, we just don't know that becomes suspect. Okay. That was a lesson. It was a big lesson uh, for me. Again, and I, again, I thought I was having integrity and in not criticizing, but there's still, I said, you can still talk about the situation without criticizing uh, the person. Another one though, and you mentioned something to this effect, Tom, well, and I'll cite back to Nedra Glover Tawab, who's coming on the show next. And she talks about dysfunction. And I think the three terms she gives relational dysfunction are abuse, chaos, and neglect. That's it. Abuse, chaos, and neglect. So I just talked about one that's somewhat kind of a neglect. I was not talking. I was remaining too silent. That was an aspect of neglect that's in the dysfunction area that hurt trust. Another one though, chaos. Man, I love being spontaneous. I love being self-employed. I get up every morning and I get to decide what I'm going to do. And it sounds like a simple thing, but it really means a lot to me as far as my own autonomy and ability to create and not feeling confined. I love that. Even though it's weighty, I got to make decisions. I might make the wrong decision. I mean, there's, you know, there's weight to that. You know that this is your life as well, but I I love that. And I love getting to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And I can be flaky. You and I enjoy being flaky together sometimes. Hey, man, can we move that here? Can we push that back 15 minutes? We get to do that with each other. And I think we're okay with it. I hope we are. We okay with that, Tom? Yeah. Yeah, we're good. Okay, thanks. I was going to, I was going to say, you know, if you like the chaos or maybe even an easier one to agree to is, just the freedom to change your mind mm-hmm. when, when something else comes up. You got to have uh, friends on the same wavelength. But and, and that's that's it. I, I'll even point out, Tom, we had a guest who was going to be on the show. Um, I won't name him because I can't even remember his name now, but it was a kind of a high profile guy. And he came through uh, Ziggler somehow. And dear Lori Majors was trying to help me schedule him. And there were a couple mistakes made, I think honest ones. And then I also just, I mean, it wasn't convenient and I changed it. So after about the third time, the guy said, you know what? I'm out that, you know, it was a good boundary for him that violates my feel. He says, I feel not kind of disrespected and, and I'm out. I thought it was a little harsh, but to what you were just about to say, yeah, he, he wasn't on that same wavelength of flexibility with time and took my you know, what, what maybe felt like chaos to him and felt disrespected. And he backed out and said he was out. I remember that. I think I've been a little more diligent on trying to gauge the person that I'm being flexible with, but, you know, again, back to that, looking at the things, what are we, what are the things we do even in our feelings of integrity that can erode trust? And I think we don't, you know, going back to that old adage of we judge ourselves by our intent, other people judge us by our actions. So even though I'm thinking of somebody's 
benefit thinking towards that, but they see an action that violates something for them and it erodes trust. Doesn't mean I was dishonest. Doesn't mean I didn't have integrity, but it rubbed them wrong and it eroded trust. And I'm sensitive to that, Tom. And I think that one, that, that one of chaos and, uh, is one where I know I've hurt myself as well. Yeah. I, my biggest, uh, well, I'm not going to call it my biggest because that would be for the people who know me to judge. Yeah, that. Only we can say your biggest problem, Tom. <laughs> but what I perceive is one of my challenges is I live my life in my head. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I'm not as verbal as I need to be. I don't, I try to do better at it. Uh, so the act or the demonstration of what I'm thinking and feeling stays internal. Well, Nobody knows that. Uh, nobody knows um, what to do, you know, what I'm thinking. You got to show it. And that's kind of the the hinge on the 10 leadership virtues is there's these virtues like kindness and respect. And, you know, one of the skill sets in there is listening. And listening is probably one of the greatest ways to show respect. And, by the way, build a relationship to someone yeah. and to be kind to them. Yeah. Um, but listening, one of the aspects of that is you got to have a two way conversation. You got to ask curious questions and respond accordingly. And so for those of us who live in our heads, you know, you and I, Kevin, can have a great conversation in my head and we never talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, if, if I wrote out in, in reality, the letters that I've written in my head, uh, yeah, it would be, it would fill my home, there, I think. There's a powerful line. It was in the first avatar and they redid it in the second avatar, but it's the line, uh, I see you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And the way the movie sets it up and, and creates the moment and slows it down and intensifies it, you know, it really means. I'm fully present, 100% aware, and I see all of you, yeah. right? Just the way you are. I so think, it's this. I think my wife cried at that scene, literally. It's the exact opposite of neglect, right? Yeah. Because, you know, when those three types of dysfunction, abuse, chaos, and neglect, I think they say uh, a neglect or not even being given any consideration or perceived value that's the worst of all yeah. where you're, where you're 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 unimportant yeah right you it's like it didn't you know abuse and chaos at least acknowledge your humanness <laughs> well man i'm gonna keep i'm gonna keep, be candid tom that again that's that's one for me as a as a i was gonna say as a guy that's not fair but my personality type yours may be similar that if i have strong feelings negative feelings about something about someone I tend to shut my mouth. That feels valiant. feels like I am sparing them my, my, my vitriol, you know, my, my criticism, I'm saving them. And yet in the silence, it can feel to some people, some deer in my life, it can feel like neglect. And, and it is, it is an aspect of that. Cause some of mine goes beyond just trying to do what's may seem valiant to me, but I'm, man, I'm just withdrawing to, to save myself. And that's about me. And it can feel uh, neglectful. Uh, you, you know, Tom, I did want to, I'm, I'm curious your take on this. 
with his TED talk. So Robert Waldinger, he does this talk. He said it was what, seven, nine years ago, you think? I didn't even look at the timeline. It's been a while. Yeah, okay. it's been a while. It's at least six or seven years ago. And so the book just came out, The Good Life, the book on this study, longest scientific study on happiness, just came out this, uh, as we're talking, January 2023. I think it comes out, I think it's coming out right now. Maybe this, it might've been even yesterday that it, that it released. So, but he does this TED talk. We've seen a lot of TED talks, you know, I mean, Simon Sinek, he's been on the show. He's has one of the greatest ones. What's the guy who did one on schooling, sir, somebody, somebody, he did one on, uh, yeah. yeah. One of the, but, but this one, okay. So Robert, man, great conversationalist, totally enjoyed him. But as I watched it, I thought he's not super dynamic. This wasn't some super secret concept. Interesting to me. Why? It was so avidly watched 43 million and climbing now. Yeah. So one of the most watched, because again, when you look at that, I, what's the greatest source of happiness. I don't think people are surprised at face value that we don't say, Oh, it's money. You know, that we don't do it, that we don't say it's money, you know, or that we don't say it's possessions or it's experiences or whatever. When we say relationships, I don't think that blows anybody's mind. And I wonder if it's just that they're, it, it, it was a scientific study by Harvard, a lot of credibility there over 80 years now started with, I think 700 men. Now it's 1500 and it includes women, wives, kids, uh, everything. And is it just because it really puts it in our face in an irrefutable way? Holy moly. We kind of know this, but dang, really? I mean, this is what the study shows. It, it really is relationships. And that kind of puts our feet to the fire of what are our priorities today? How are we walking these things out? Are we really supporting what we see at the end of the day and end of our lives is actually what gives us the most happiness is what we all, we all want most when we happiness, nothing sells more than happiness. And here they are saying it's relationships. And I wonder if it was the irrefutability of it. Did, did the, did the 43 million people that saw it, were they, were they inspired to hear that? Was it daunting to hear that? What do you think, man? You study the culture a lot. I'm curious. Yeah. You know, I think it's like the hidden truth where everybody goes, hmm. yeah, that makes sense. And, yeah. and I'll, I'll look, I'll bring it into God would have been good to ask him on the podcast, this question, um, you know, with the pandemic, all the people went home for work. Um, and now the rules have changed, right? The value structure is different. People don't want to go back into the office. They want to maintain that autonomy. They, they want different things, but why do they want it? And so here's a, here's a thought. There's, if you've ever had somebody you really, truly love family member or friend, um, either get very sick or you lose them, or you just have to deal with that. Um, and you start imagining what would life be like without them. Hmm. It's horrible, right? I mean, it's like you, you do anything to avoid that. Which you've done, right? by the way. I, I know of three times. Your sister, your dad, now your mom. Yeah. Maybe others, well, but I know those are three biggies. And probably everybody here has got at least that or more, yeah. right? So, So if you were to write down on a list – here are the 10 people that mean the most in the world to me. Or if you're lucky, you can write 15 or 20, right? That really are in that 
inner circle, how would how would you feel? How would your life be different if you if if they left, if they're gone, if you lost that relationship? And so I think that's what happened for a good period of time with the pandemic is people started saying, gosh, life is uncertain. Uh, I could die. The people I love could die. The relationships could be separated. And, and then you combine with that, that there was a lot more opportunity for at least family relationships to spend more physical time together because of lockdowns and work changes, work from home. And so maybe this is a question we should all ask. Is, is what I'm about to do, is it going to enhance the most important relationships in my life or is it going to create a wedge there? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I think I think a little bit of what's going on in the culture right now is this intrinsic, intuitive thought that, you know what, uh, working 80 hours a week and, you know, 10 hours a week of commuting and all that stuff – that's just not worth the cost of the relationships. Yeah. I've seen the other side. Life is fuller and richer, and it's not about the money. And so I think it's a big aha. I mean, I think the research just reveals what we know all alone, but we're really good at justifying stuff. Yeah, if I if I go take that project or if I do that job for a couple of years, you know, then I'm going to be able to have the nest egg and the financial ability to set my family up. So. So what are we doing there? We're we're saying that what people value in me is the end product of what I produce for them and not the relationship that I have with them. Hmm. <laughs> Which it, is yeah. It, it's it's gotten me I'm I'm listening to you Tom and it's it confirms a little bit some thoughts that have been rolling around for me since talking with Robert. And well you had uh, Richie Norton. On. Yeah. He's probably the number one expert on this very specific topic. Yeah. And the challenges that he had in his life with his family, you know, some of the things they went through in a totally restructuring of how he does everything now. Well, and real quick, because we didn't really get into it a whole lot on the, on the show, because, you know, I've had him on before, but... Uh, Richie Norton. Yeah. He was in one of the, just the previous, this is again, January, 2023. I think he might've been November, December that we had him on something like that of 2022. And he lost a child and then his wife had a stroke. Couldn't is relatively young. I mean, they're still relatively young, young wife had a stroke, couldn't speak. And it was a, a fear of, uh, you know, losing her or is she ever going to be able to be an, an you know, quote, normal functioning human being again, and just turn their life around. And they made massive change to their life. And not to that degree, you know, Tom, but I, I think back, you know, 13 years ago, I was at a low uh, financially. I was, oh, I was climbing out. I was climbing out of some bad financials just from some business endeavors that didn't go the way that I had hoped. And, um, but we built a house. I'll make a long story short. We built a house because I was grieved to think about my kids not getting the chance to grow up in an environment that I wanted them to be in, which for me was the mountains and the forest and, and, and in a home that fit us. We built a house uh, bigger on land that we couldn't afford. I don't know how we did it, but somehow we did it. And it was really hard. I'm so grateful, but I'm thinking about that again. What experiences do I want for my kids? What are things do I want to support for my family that I don't want to wait for? 
what can I do now? What can I sacrifice now? Can I put my, you know, quote, career trajectory on hold at some point? Yeah, who can, I'm going to have plenty of time. I may have plenty of time for that, um, you know, there. But right now, what can I do now? And it, it really increased the gravity of, yeah, of the moment, which I think to your standpoint of pandemic and it took those relationships. It made me think of when you have conflict in a relationship and then somebody does have something die or happen to them and they're in the hospital bed, then you do not care about all those petty issues anymore. They're out the door. I can't believe we were stuck on those things because now things have gotten real. I love you. I care about you. And it pulls you together. How can we do that? Maybe the pandemic did that to some degree. What a great exercise. Yeah. Like you talk about to think about losing the people that we really care about. And another, another piece, Tom, that I mentioned to Bob, uh, we didn't get into a whole lot, but I continue to think about it back to those questions. So he sent me the PDF with all those questions. Now the questions are across the board. They were, were to understand from an unbiased standpoint, really looking at what gave these people happiness. So they weren't trying to gear it a certain way. We're not to understand that they were fishing for relational aspects. They were fishing for everything, finances and and possessions and experiences and whatever. And what they came out with, gosh, it seems like relationships. So now two things I'm interested in. One is just the fact of these people for their majority of their lives being tracked. That once a year, once a quarter, whatever it was, I don't remember the exacts, but that they knew it was coming up. They knew. And to me, that's accountability. Thinking, gosh, I'm going to be asked about my health, my money, my relationships. It's always thinking. And I did mention this to Bob because we know that, that there's been some test studies done on wearable devices, right? So I wear a, a Garmin watch that tracks my exercise and my rest and all these things. And just putting one on. They've done some studies that people by proxy make some, they make better decisions. They make healthier decisions because they know they're being tracked. Now, if you take that and say, and it's going to be looked at by a practitioner, let's say like a doctor is going to be checking on that or your sports coach or your fitness instructor or whatever, man, your decisions go way up more because you know, somebody's going to see how you slept last night and go, gosh, why was it so bad? Well, I had too much wine or, you know, sugar or, or, or whatnot. And so you're making these better decisions. So being tracked I'm curious about it. I'm thinking about it. What about for myself? Should I get a group of people? You, Tom, should we band together and say, hey, we're going to get together every quarter, every, once a year. What about my family? And ask these questions. And since we now do know that relationships are the crux, should we just go ahead and make them about relationships primarily and have some relational check-in questions about, hey, how have you been nurturing this relationship? How have you been? I don't even know. Again, I haven't gotten into their questions, but I want to go. But I'm almost curious about one, tracking myself and those that I care about, us tracking ourselves together and weighing more on the relational aspects of the questions. I'm sure there's great value in asking the health and wellness and money and whatever questions as well. But on the relationship side, it sounds like I'm, I'm highly curious. So I'm, I'm, I'm pondering what to do with that. Maybe you can help me. There is a huge accountability role, uh, in things, uh, just like there's a placebo effect in things, um, with the tracking. I know from Bob Bodine and he's been on several times. Yeah. He, he, I think I learned it from him that any people in a position of leadership 
uh, like the head of a church or the head of a big business who make a, uh, a, a big moral failure that basically they lose everything. It's because they don't have one true friend. Yeah. Right. They don't have one solid, intimate relationship with somebody who can say, yeah, maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> and when you think about it, well, why are we happy? We're happy because we have relationships. Mm-hmm. Well, what do good relationships do? They keep us from driving the car off the cliff. Mm-hmm. And when we don't drive off the cliff as often, maybe we're happier. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And I know that we heal faster. Uh, There's all kinds of studies. Just what happens when you've got a tight family and friend relationships as far as how you recover from illness or accident or life trauma and things like that. Um, you, the way we process stuff, the way the brain handles grief and traumatic events is... Uh, a lot different when you've got a support group around you and people who who care and love and support and and can carry the carry the load when it gets too heavy and encourage you and kind of push you into getting help if you need it. Uh, you know, I look at so many people because they didn't have a friend. Um, because st- I think well, let's just look at addiction first, for example. Almost every addict will tell you that there was a point when they were in the gray area and they thought, yeah, I'm not too far yet. But if they'd had a true friend who was watching it, they all would have said, you've crossed the line. You need to step back. Uh Right. And because there wasn't somebody in their life who was, who was there to, to kind of confirm their internal they went a little further and then they were in and then it became, you know, a lifelong burden to try to get out. So when, when you say the happiest, you know, people are happy because they have relationships. It's not only for the good that these relationships bring us, but it's the buffer zone and the protection that they create. Cause when you care about people, it's like, uh, you know, we've talked about it before, the difference between tolerance and love. You know, we've we've overvalued the the concept of tolerance, right? You know, hey, if that's the way they believe and they want to do that, that's up to them. We're just going to let them go do it, right? But a lot of times what people choose to do really isn't the best thing for them and, and their family. But if we live in the tolerance zone, then we let them go do it. We let them burn, right? We let them get hurt. We let them make the mistakes. We let them learn the hard way. Love, on the other hand, is very risky because love, if you've got a relationship on love and trust, then when you see somebody in the family starting a a pattern that's that's taking them into a place that's not good, you step in and say, hey, I'm concerned about you. And it could be as simple as work's not going well. Maybe they're a business owner. They're working it, and you can tell they're getting tired. You can tell the last few four, four or five times you've been out with them socially that uh, alcohol is becoming a priority in the time. <laughs> yeah. Friendship and relationships step in and say, "Hey, I've got there's some signals going off. I know you're struggling at work. I know you're not getting enough rest. I know you're." 
putting in too many hours. Uh, I know this other thing's going on. And it seems like when we're together, you know, it's more about what they're serving than, than who's at the, at the table, what's going on. Right. Well, you can, uh, uh, the right relationship that you have can, can, uh, that can draw attention to that and step back and go, you know what? You're right. I'm going to, I'm going to change that. I'm going to get some help. I'm going to, I'm going to, whatever it is. How many people never get that? How many people live too long in that space to where what they didn't want to happen takes over? Tom, I love the point. I love the point that the relationship values are not just what we get. Because I think that's what we, by proxy, just think about. I'm in a relationship because I get X. I get all these things from this person. So it's not what I hear, what I'm paraphrasing. The relationship values, not just what it gives to us, what we get from it, but what it, in essence, also saves us from. Because, yeah, you're right, Tom. It was part of my early adulthood, like early 20s of being exposed to some businessmen. And whenever I tell this story, I always want to say it wasn't my dad. Okay. Because <laughs> he's <laughs> a businessman near and dear to my heart. And part of my story it wasn't him. Um, it was some guys he knew and men who achieved some really great business successes, really uh, a lot of money. And yet I saw on the backside, some significant falls from grace, some significant lacks of integrity, or even just mistakes, just some bad judgment calls. But what I realized then was they, just as you talked about, they had no accountability. There was nobody, and accountability has a lot of baggage to it. It wasn't somebody over them, but just even a peer. And I'll put it to a context that, you know, Randy James, Dr. Randy James, who co-hosts a lot of these shows, yours and my doctor. And I share an office with him. Um, so we see each other a lot. Uh, our kids know each other. We live in the town together. We're just as likely to see each other at the grocery store. Every Friday we meet with a, with a group of guys and that I probably don't give enough value to Tom of, of the, of the significance that is to my life on decisions that I make, knowing that he's going to find out about it. He's going to know about it. in our small town. He's going to find out about it, whether I tell him or not, you know, if I, if I were to, to do something, but generally he's just going to ask, he's going to ask about money. How's it, how's it, how's it happening? How's he going to ask about my marriage, about my parenting? And I'm going to him as well. And it matters. I probably don't give it the gravity that it deserves. It matters to my life and my accountability and our guys group. I'm grateful that it was actually something that I brought in because I had in the past been surprised in a relationship when a, a guy, a friend of mine, something big happened in his life and I didn't know about it. It had been brewing a long time and I didn't know it. I was really upset with him and just upset that it happened. And so now the premise that I brought into this guy's group is let's make sure that we check in, even if we're chit-chatting about whatever, that we at least check in on anything big happening so that we are not surprised. I don't want to hear all of a sudden that you're going bankrupt and it's been brewing for a year. That's not okay. You've got to bring that up to the group. I don't want to hear that your marriage is is dead or dying and we didn't know about that or that you're bereft from a kid or, you know, XYZ. Let's 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 have that no surprises. It's probably a good good 
premise for any group, no surprises. And then to know that you're going to just like when we meet with Randy and he's going to ask about our health and wellness and see our stats. We're going to say, yeah, you know, I've been diving into the donuts pretty consistently lately. That's what keeps me from diving into the donuts or one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I like the guardrail. There's a great story of a, of a, an uh, an older woman. Uh, She was a widow, had a fortune and she was hiring a chauffeur. And so the first chauffeur came in, had an amazing pedigree, actually had been a race car driver, been through the security protocols, everything. And um, so she says, well, take me for a test drive. And and he did. He was fantastic. And then he said, well, he said, you see that that cliff over there? Would you feel comfortable driving the car right next to the cliff? I mean, are your skills strong enough that you can handle it? And the driver said, absolutely, sure, I can do that. So then the next guy came in, another chauffeur, a little bit older gentleman, a little bit more seasoned, still a great pedigree, went through the same stuff. And then at the end, she says, you know, there's a, there's a, the road goes, you could go off the road and by the cliff over there. Could you drive the car right next to the cliff? Would you feel, you know, competent to do that? And he said, yeah, I'm competent to do that, but you'd be crazy to do that. Why would you ever do that? That's who she hired. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's what our, when we have a really strong foundational and vulnerable relationship with our friends, that's what our friends have the permission to tell us. Why would you do that? Right. Why would you, why would you take that risk when everything I know about you, yeah, you might get a win for a moment, but, but the risk is, you know, why would you do it? And so I think that goes back to that scripture that says, flee the appearance of evil. Mm -hmm. When we've got a strong family and friend network um, who we've developed real relationships with, just like you were saying, uh, you kind of get uncomfortable in a situation where even if it just appears out of line. Yeah. And my my uncle Bernie, he used to, uh, this is a great dad story. Um, so when dad was getting, you know, this is back in the seventies. So he was, he was the up and comer and he was just strong. And uncle Bernie said he, sometimes he would speak at these conferences and like 90% of the women or in the people in the conference would be women, right? Direct sales and network marketing and he'd get done. And well, it didn't matter. Every event it happened, people would come and want his autograph. And so there'd be hundreds of people trying to get his autograph. The difference was, is this audience was just made up of women, right? Mm -hmm. And so now he's surrounded by women (laughs) telling him, wow, this is, you you know, your talk was amazing. You inspired me. Will you sign my book or the book and da, 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 da. And and Uncle Bernie said he would watch dad. And after about 10 minutes, he could see dad getting antsy. And then a couple more minutes to go by, and then he would tell everybody, hey, wait here. I've got to go make a phone call. And and Dad would literally go outside of that room into the uh, the hotel hallway. Remember all those banks, the telephones they used yeah. to have and big conference centers? He said he'd go call your mom, right? Because he was he was feeling he had this boundary, this relationship that he wanted to protect. Yeah. And even though there was nothing wrong at all going on, it, it was just unsettling to his spirit. And so, so how did that happen? Well, they 
they had commitments to each other, mom and dad, of how they would treat each other, how they would behave around other people. What was, you know, what was the, the quote unquote, the rules of engagement. And they both had a super high standard. And so they both got nervous before they broke the agreement, right? It's like before they got to the edge of the cliff, they they were feeling so uncomfortable they had to back away. And yeah. that's what a strong friend group and family relationships does for you is when you have the right relationship um, and you have these commitments, you don't you don't cross the line and then tell your family I blew it. <laughs> you get 10 feet from the line, but closer than you've been in a long time. And it makes you back up and go reconnect because yeah. it's just not worth it. Tom, that's a big one to me. And as I have, like you have walked with a lot of men through life and seen a lot of downfalls, especially from some of the nature you're pointing to there of, of temptation and whatnot. I've, and I'm sure I got this from somebody, but that my strength in that is not withstanding the temptation when it's in my face. It's running long before it ever gets there. So if I think it's, it's there, uh, it reminds me, isn't it Billy Graham who's attested with that? He would never get into an elevator or driving a car with a woman by himself just for the, not because he was afraid he was going to jump on them, uh, but he didn't, he wanted to be above reproach. He didn't even want that, man. I think about that. I, I honestly do as we're in the public light and you know, things that could be said that, uh, of, of doing that. I've had times Tom where I've, I've, uh, it was, it's been a long time, but there was a time when I was in an office and there were a couple ladies working there. And if it actually, it was, it was with Randy and we would do this with each other and say, look, if one of us is there late and just with the you know secretary receptionist, nutrition coach, whatever it was, can the other one try to stay with them? Uh, and if not call your wife and we would do that. Say, Hey, I want you to know everybody left. I'm here. And so is so-and-so, um, it should only be 20 minutes more or something, but I want you to know that we are here. It's just us. You know, now you could have gone to Billy Graham route and said, I'm not going to, if they're going to leave, I'm going to leave. But, you know, we did something, but to address that. And I did want to pull um, something out though, that you said before Tom, and it was in regards to having that, you know, having a true friend, but it, uh, it made me think of AA Alcoholics Anonymous. That what's the first, Oh, you were talking about that tempt addiction and going over the edge and that how interesting that once you've done that, especially with addiction, alcohol specifically, whatever, and you end up in AA, what's the first thing they do? You get a sponsor. You get someone who is attached to you that you can call on at any time that's there to when you start to get over there to tip, you know, how much do we need that person in our lives? And you know, as an anchor for all this, as I look at relationships as the key to our happiness, what does it take? And we can go into a lot of things. The thing that stands out to me though, Tom, is just investment. When we know that financially, if we had Dave Ramsey on here, he'd be talking about the value of saving a you know, penny a day, anything, just save it. And the long-term investment that creates wealth, that creates financial peace. And that do, are we doing that with our relationships? Which is one that speaks to me because I am so, I can be so self-focused work, you know, focused on what I'm doing. I can be really selfish with my time. I'm the one most prone to say no to social events or getting together. And yet 
seeing the danger of being on my own with no accountability has drawn me to going, I have to invest. I've got to go show up Friday morning with that guy's group. I've got to show up for a phone call with some so-and-so. I've got to do a Zoom call. If I let so much time go, it's just too much. It's hard to catch up again. And that consistent investment in the relationship. So, I mean, I highly recommend that people get Bob's book, Robert Waldinger's book, uh, The Good Life. Go look at that. I've been doing that, telling people, go check out, type in Robert Waldinger TED Talk, and you can see that TED Talk. It's, what, 20 minutes, if that, 15 minutes. Uh, so powerful and convicting. And just start auditing. Where are you right now? Where are your relationships? Where do you want them to be? What do you need to do to bolster them? And as you said, Tom, not just, well, you didn't say this, but you get not just what you get from them, but what do they give you outside of those guardrails? Is that the best way to say it? I love that analogy. Yeah. You know, um, it's, you know, on a financial, I remember dad saying, I have no need to be super wealthy, but I have great need not to be poor. Hmm. And I think it's not a direct correlation, but I think relationships, man, I, I don't have to have every relationship in my life a 10 out of 10. But boy, do I want a life where it's just living desperation because the relationships are so horrible? No, I don't. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and so uh, if Dave Ramsey were here, he'd say, stop digging the hole. You know, I mean, that's the first principle of getting out of debt is you quit digging the hole. And I, th- I think that's what happens with relationships where we start building a community of people who want the highest and best good for us. I mean, truly, they point out the holes we're digging and saying, you know, maybe you should spend less time digging that hole. Yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all, our whole life gets better, you know, not because we've like had a breakthrough in this relationship that's driving us crazy for all these years. But because we quit poking the bear. Yeah. Right. And we're not getting swatted all the time. And then that allows for it to go in any relationship to go to the next next level. If you you know, it's it's if you are a business owner or work in a business, you've seen it. You you know what happens when somebody on the team is going through a really difficult relationship time at home. They're not productive. Yeah. They make bad decisions. Uh, they make mistakes. And a lot of times they, they end up, it's, it ends their career there, right? During that season. You know, you mentioned Bob Bodine, uh, your, one of your mentors, a close friend of yours. Yeah. He's been on the show a couple of times. He has two books. Uh, the first one we are, or, or we've had him on for two books. The first one was the power of who the second one is two chairs, but that the power of who that is so much of that message. Uh, it's a great one to check out the power of who, cause he's talking ultimately about the wealth of connections of people, uh, in your life. And something you said, Tom, got me to thinking my dad, Dan Miller of 48 days fame that a lot of people know he has talked and it might've even been on a show here, but if not, I just know it's, it's been a focal point or a topic of his, of, I think he calls it his 3am club or your 3am club. Who do you have? You can call it 3am at night for help, whether you need emotional support, whether you need 10 grand to bail you out of something, you know, whatever it was, who do you have there? And not that it's a contest to have a hundred people on that list, but do you even have one? Do you have three? You know, who could you call up? 
in that though, something you said, Tom, got me to thinking about maybe it's the consistent relationship, the consistent uh, coming together. If I didn't show up, if I went off the radar, missing in action, how long would it take before anyone noticed? Who would call up and start hunting for me? If you didn't hear from me for a week, would I get a text from Tom Ziegler saying, hey, man, where are you? Haven't heard from you. Would I get one from Randy? Would I get one from my friend Scott and Dustin, whatever? Am I in consistent communication that I would be missed? Or can I go silent for a month and not hear from anybody because I'm not involved with their lives? Probably a good barometer audit to look at because that's probably a red flag. And again, I say that as somebody who, man, I'm, I can go isolate eternally almost and, and be a hermit and not do that. I've got to invest consistently in those relationships so that, yeah, I don't want to be the person that they find curled up on the floor many days after I've passed away. How tragic is that? Yep. Yeah. Well, so Tom, let's not let a week go by. Okay. Week goes by. All right. Send out the honey dogs. That's right. All right, brother. Thanks. I'm grateful to be in relationship with you. Friends, this is a great time to look at your relationships and consider the aspect of trust. If you feel safe enough with some close friends and family, this is a great topic to discuss and even be courageous enough to ask where you erode trust with people because you do. This is how I found out about my enjoyment of spontaneity, but that it was hard on some of the people in my life and I was able to adjust a bit and strengthen trust with them. But I had to know first. Thank you for choosing to tune into this self-helpful podcast. As always, it'd be great to get your review. Best thing you can do, just as I talked about here, talk about this idea of trust. Talk about it in your relationships and be honest with each other. It will help you all immensely. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself so that you can help others. <laughs>